You're listening to Legacy Lawyers. Hosted by Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. What's up, Nathan? I'm just waiting for uh, you to compliment me on the beard trim. <laughs> the beard trim. Well, I was waiting for you to compliment me on my tie, so. Well, you made such a big deal last week about it. It was out of control. How bad gruffy I looked that I trimmed it up I shaved my neck I mean I'm just glad you did because yeah but you didn't even come into a head like, <laughs> what what point is there if you're not gonna even notice I'm not gonna notice so that'll be the last time that I make a change in my appearance for you because <laughs> I don't notice nope. well it'd be one thing if you hadn't complained so obnoxiously about it when did well i haven't really seen you and then you see me it's when did you get Thursday. it trimmed when did you get it trimmed yesterday trimmed it on sunday so this is day four in the office <laughs> i guess i didn't notice <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm kidding in fairness a lot of times in the office me and mike are like Two ships passing in the night. <laughs> hey, you still work here? We did. You did come in my office for like 20 minutes and sat on my couch and we talked about. And did you not notice case. that I was going like this with my head turning back and forth, like exposing <laughs> the neck? Like, I was trying the... to, it was like I had neck problems, but I was like, man, maybe if he sees. No, I'm kidding. Nothing. Totally kidding, uh, but I did trim it up, and I think it does look better. Even Shannon said, you look, she said more distinguished. I think she meant more, less homeless. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's more tactful than me. See, I would have just been. Well, nobody's, nobody's less tactful than I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can be, but when I choose not to be. So actually, when we were sitting and I had that 20 minute window to discover your beard trim and didn't um, to notice it and didn't, you were telling me the craziest story. <laughs> I know. That's why I didn't notice. I was just so in, interested in your Yeah, it's story. insane. So like, I think in our lead in, we always, it says that we'll share details, juicy details of cases we're handling and. So in this case, um, first of all, I will give the disclaimer that Mike and myself, we are both attorneys and we are estate planning attorneys. We deal with guardianships and conservatorships. We deal with, deal with some probates. We deal with trust administrations um, and all that good stuff. But we do this podcast not as a substitute for legal advice for our listeners, but instead as um, for educational and entertainment purposes. And so you should not rely on anything you hear in the podcast today 
to act on facts specific to your situation, you should always seek out a qualified attorney to um, advise you on your particular circumstances. But that, and then I will say one other thing, um, we do change names and, and identities and stuff to, so we're not revealing information about our clients. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in this particular case, I specifically went to the um, client and asked for permission to share the story so long as I switched up names and identities and so forth. And they were more than happy to let us discuss this. So I'm not disclosing client privileged information. Um, I have changed the identities and the facts a little bit just so that um, we don't disclose anything that we're not supposed to. We're very careful about that. So that being said, I think in the past we've talked about, I don't know, maybe a handful of times, maybe more, why it's not a good idea to um, for children to, to put their names on the deed to mom or dad's house. Have we ever talked about that? We have in one or two past episodes, we've talked about that um, came up a little bit. We were just talking about the benefits of a trust and kind of listing off some of the perks and, and, you know, this topic came up a little bit there. And I'm kind of joking because I feel like that's all we talk about a lot of the times, not on the podcast, I guess, but I can't tell you how many times in a week. I have to tell somebody, no, don't do that. In fact, we had a financial advisor walking through the other day and he stops me. He's like, it was for somebody that was going to meet with us. And he's like, so just so I'm clear, remind me again, they shouldn't add their names to the deed. I'm like, no. And I don't have time to give you all the reasons why, but no. <laughs> the hard and I will say no. that this is a, this is crazy, but crazy stuff happens and you have to be careful. So, so, so this family, before you go into it, did they give you the mindset they were in when they started adding names to the deed or are you going to yeah. share that? Yeah, okay. I'm going to share that. Okay. So <clears throat> the person that came to meet with me, we're going to say that her name is Janet. Um, and she has a uh, brother named Roger um, Janet came to see me because they now have a situation where her and her brother Roger, um, four years ago or so, um, added their name. I think they actually purchased the house, quote unquote. It was for a deep discount. Um, from so mom and dad or from who? From dad. Oh, okay. But, but I mean, the same... I would I would give the same warning. So, so like, it, was, it, was, it was like a gift from mom or dad to the kids and they paid some for it, but it was yeah. a big discount. Yeah, definitely. If you were looking at this from an arm's length standpoint, there would have been a significant gift. So there was a not even close to fair market value for the purchase. So in some ways, it's not much different than just adding their names to the deed. So... Um, both kids are on the deed and they actually, they did go out and get a, a loan 
um, together on this property. Okay. To, so to make this is this a little, purchase. it's a little different than just mom or dad putting the kids. Yeah. Name so on I guess deed. in that regard, the bank probably, I don't know, they probably wouldn't have a problem as long as their value was there for the house, they wouldn't have had a problem with the purchase yeah. price. I don't think they but care. There was a loan um, at a financial institution where both um, Janet and her brother Roger have personal accounts. Okay. So at the time that, so the, the key piece of information people are waiting, like, why is this problematic? Cause, and the, and the impetus behind getting, you know, let's buy the house, let's start to help dad manage is cause he's not in good health and he's declining. Um, he's actually pretty severe diabetic that doesn't take care of himself. And um, so they they're concerned about the normal things, you know, but they obviously they're going about this a little bit different than, than we so, would probably recommend. So dad sold this property property to him at a discount, but then remained in the home. Yeah. And that's the key part here. That's where this resembles a scenario where people in order to avoid probate or avoid doing whatever they're estate thinking. planning, whatever they're doing, they just, they, somebody gets sick, they add their name to the house and mom or dad is still living in the house. Dad's still living in this house. And so it's important that the house be a safe place, that it remain in, you know, that it be the place where that's what dad is, dad's home. So after the, the kids bought the home, did they move in with mom or dad? I move in with dad at all? Or did um, they just no, I don't think permanently, but they have, uh, but Roger, the son who, this is where, the the twist comes in Roger's got some fairly significant mental health issues and mm. at the time that um they undertook this transaction and bought the home um Roger was on his medication um never had a problem well, hadn't really ever had a break or anything like that but I mean it's a diagnosis that I'll just say it's bipolar. I got permission to say that it's bipolar. Um, anybody that knows anything about that disorder knows that like if they go off their medicine, there's, there can be, there can be huge, huge problems. Mike's waving well, at his my lights, light stupid sensor. auto light. <laughs> Sorry. So um, I mean, my concern is if I'd been Janet would have been, and I mean, I have a little bit more experience with this, I was a psych major. I worked at a psych unit for a year before I went to law school. I've also had plenty of dealings in my 20 years of law practice where I've seen people with that illness and others like it um, have breaks. And so I would, if I would have been the, the, the daughter or the son looking at bringing my bipolar brother and getting into a joint ownership on a house, I would have uh, that that fact alone would have dissuaded me. I would have been like, yeah, I'm not involving my brother on this. Whatever we have to do, I'm going to do it myself. And I but, honestly think that Janet was doing it because she wanted to include Roger and she wanted to feel like he was part of the process and that she wasn't hijacking the situation. And so I think everybody had good intentions going in. 
So they bought this house. Mm-hmm. Dad's living in it. Mm-hmm. Everything was pretty normal. Yeah, they're they're they each and in fact they were each making um, payment equal payments on the the loan, and so there was no issue until Roger decides to go off his medication and then there's this downward spiral over a period of a couple of years to where now he's currently in jail. So what happened is um, got off his meds, I think started abusing some medication that that led to some drug use. And then that always comes along with a, you know, an element, you know, people that are, that have problems. And so ultimately Roger was victimized in a washed check money laundering type scheme. Hey, let me send you this check and then you, you go cash it and And whatever it's money and send me the money. And when his response to being victimized and realizing that it was a scam was not what most people's would be like, Oh, I'm never doing that again. And I got burned. It was, I'm going to start doing this myself. Oh no. I'm going to start victimizing other people. So now, and they didn't know this at the time, but they have since had, they have possession of a computer that Roger used and there's all kinds of just, it's just chock full of, of images and information and emails to the crazy emails back and forth. And, and he has turned around and done this. It appears that he's done this to other people. So um, in this, and so the, the reason that the, this eventually impacts the house is because there's a, uh, Roger accepts a check, a wash check back in right like a year into the pandemic um accepts a washed check for ninety four thousand dollars deposits it in his bank account at the same institution where they have the loan on the house and then turns around and pulls thirty two thousand dollars out which blows my mind but i guess if it's a washed check it has a has a legit routing number and account number on it so it but it cleared for $94,000 and before did clear. Yeah. So before they, before, you know, whoever had this money emptied out of their account reported it and, and they got to the bottom of it, Roger had taken 32 K out of the account and done who knows what with it. And so what happened, and I don't know the details of how this conversation took place, but basically what the bank did there's there's a, a term called cross collateralization. I think we've actually talked about that in an episode too, where if you have accounts at a bank and you have a loan at that same bank, in the fine print of the agreements that you sign, you agree that any money you have in the accounts, if you're delinquent um, on your other delinquent loan. on loan obligations, that they they can go in and pull money out of your account and and use that to satisfy your your debt obligation. So it's it's called cross collateralization. And I, I I'm pretty sure that's what was going on here. But basically, what the bank did is they said, "Hey, um, that needs to be paid back." And they also had to pay back the rest of the ninety four. Um, 
And so they essentially somehow, I don't know if it was because they got the um, Roger and Janet to agree to do this, but they, they took a HELOC on mom and mom's on dad's house. And so now there's a first mortgage and then there's a HELOC for almost as much. And the HELOC's a home equity line of credit and the bank took the cash from the, the equity of the home and used it to repay this person that had been victimized in this wash check scam. So, and in the meantime, Roger's got a daughter, um, Lily, who is a minor and she's been, Janet's been watching this scenario, this situation decline and decline and decline and finally decided to go and petition the court to get guardianship of her niece, Roger's daughter, because they're so worried about Lily. Hmm. So that's why they end up in an attorney's office who subsequently referred them over to us because the attorney is helping them get guardianship of, of Roger's daughter. When in the, in the course of this, Janet has Lily over at, her, uh, at dad's house visiting grandpa or something. And Roger shows up in a, I don't know if it was drugs. I don't know if it was just the, the symptoms of the illness, the bipolar, if it was manic or whatever, but he tries to break into the house, ends up breaking a window out of the house, terrorizes everybody and gets charged with domestic violence in the, in the presence of a minor, criminal mischief and terroristic threats. Oh, wow. And is, and is now currently sitting in a county facility jail facility awaiting a hearing um, so he wasn't arrested for the check stuff yeah no he's never been caught doing that so that's all still probably to come hmm. so so and and it's actually it was after this situation with the kid that they started looking around on this computer and that's when they found all this stuff and so he Janet panicked. She's like, I got to get my brother's name off of my mom's house because, or my dad's house, because if I don't do that and they're, and he gets busted for this money laundering stuff, which it looks like eventually that will happen. There could be all kinds of criminal restitution. restitution. There could be civil suits. There could be judgments. And they're afraid that that's going to impact mom and dad or dad's house. Now we're, so they come, they come to me and drop this story in my lap (laughs) and they're like, could I get guardianship of my, and conservatorship over my sister or over my brother so that I can take his name off of the deed to this house. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you're saying you want a petition to to get guardianship over a brother that came and tried to attack the family like that. You want to be guardian conservator over that person. And they're like, well, she was like, no, but I, I gotta do something. She's like, next thing she asks is, well, what if we, could we, could you draft a quit claim deed and I'll, I'll, I'll ask Roger to sign it and have him give up his ownership in the home. And I said, well, sure. I mean, I can draft a deed, but the question is, can you Rogers in jail, you are, working on a protective order against Roger, which means you can't have any contact with him. And then, so there's no way to go and ask him if he'll, he'll sign this deed. But then I asked this question, what do you think the likelihood is that he'd agree to sign the deed if you ask him? 
And she's like, oh, he wouldn't, Zero. he wouldn't sign it. And so I think what they were hoping is that I'd have some sort of magic wand where I'd be able to be like, oh, force, we just, yeah, we can force do that ownership to, because he's got bipolar and he's in jail and he's off his meds. We can get a court to say, oh, you have to sign this document and get off of your dad's house. Well, that's not how it works. Yeah. Unless you can show fraud, it's really hard yeah. to unwind a transact, a real estate transaction, right? Yeah. So what's the fraud claim here? There isn't. And oh. So basically what you've got is you've got a child on ownership of dad's house who is off meds, has engaged in domestic violence, and now Criminal the family activity. has learned is engaged in all kinds of financial criminal activity that could have massive implications that could ultimately end up impacting dad's house. That sucks. So let me ask you again, why should we not add children's well, that, to parents' deeds? Well, I mean, I want the kids to get it. It just made sense. <laughs> well, we, it's, it's the easy way to avoid probate. It just is. It, it just it, makes sense. It's what my grandparents did. Did they? they put my no. I'm I'm, oh. I'm saying this is what people will say. Oh. oh, you know what? Actually, I once talked to my uncle about my grandmother's house because he wound up her estate, and I knew she didn't have a trust. And I said so, but he was really tight-lipped about how he got it done. I guarantee you, they either. I mean, I could go in now on that house public record electronically and look and see what happened, but I never have. But they either added his name to the house and managed to get around it that way, or they or they went through a probate. That's the bottom line. When there should have been a trust, because I don't know. Aside from this kind of madness happening and <laughs> threatening Dad's house, what what else? What are the other consequences of adding a child? Let's say that instead of purchasing, because that's actually kind of rare. What's more? frequently done as well let's say it's the will... same story but they just put their name on the deed let's yeah that's say... what i'm saying instead of buying they just added their names to the deed so now we got dad's son and daughter's name all on the deed yeah so let's say that son this... goes and does this activity you, you're still hosed yeah. you can't just take him off well you can't take him off but what i'm saying is let's let's make it a more normal situation without all this mental illness and crime craziness and let's just talk about what are the reasons you shouldn't do that otherwise so if 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 i go to my parents and say hey you guys are getting on an age why don't you add me and the siblings let's add you on let's add us onto the deed i in fact take yourself off the deed because we're worried you might have some long-term care issues and just put the house in our name what could go wrong with that mike do you want me to really answer? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've got an answer, but I'll give you the first answer. Okay. Another... We'll go back and forth. You give me one and then I'll give you one. Give me one. So one of think. the saddest scenarios, one of the saddest things I ever had to do as a lawyer was we, um, before the pandemic, we would, you and I, we may or may not have volunteered at senior centers. And we would go and do volunteer consults and, and try to help people answer basic legal questions. And, and uh, one day uh, a gentleman came in and he was in tears when he sat down in front of me and, 
and I asked him what was going on. He said, well, I'm here to do two things. Uh, he says, I have two things to do today. The first is to talk to you. And the second is I got to go rent a moving truck. And I said, okay, what's going on? He said, well, um, a few years ago, we were, my daughter needed a place to live. And so she came and moved into the basement of our home. We invited her to come move into the basement of our home and worked out fine for the first little while. And then she doesn't know what was going on, but somehow relationship kind of turns toxic. And eventually they agreed to move mom and dad to the basement. So daughter takes over the upstairs of the house. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately they daughter goes to, to parents and says, well, you guys are getting so old and I'm worried that you're going to get sick and that we're going to have to put you in a facility. And I know that sometimes the home is a problem and they can, you have to spend the, the equity in the home on your care. I don't want that to happen. Why don't you just put us on the deed? So they deed the property to daughter. And then, I mean, there's gotta be a, I always say this and I'm going to, I just going to say it the way I feel it. There's gotta be a special place in hell for, <laughs> The kind of people that do this because ultimately what she did is he made some adaptations to the to the entrance of the back entrance of the basement to accommodate mom's increasingly difficult walking situation and she didn't like that so she she went through the process of having them evicted and so the day that he that he came to see me he was coming to see is there anything that i can do i have this hearing is there anything I can do to stop this? Because otherwise I'm going to be packing my stuff into a moving van and driving to Oregon to move in with my son. Oh man. And what do you do? They deeded. She owns the house. She can evict who she wants. I said, the best I think you can do is try to prevail on, upon the judge's you know, emotional sensitivities, but ultimately I don't think that there's anything legally that can be done to stop her from evicting you. So there's one. Can you beat that? Sure. So <laughs> that's a really good reason, right? Like once you give up your Ownership. name on the deed, you're a tenant and you can be <laughs> evicted at any time, but let's say you kept your name on the deed. Okay. So, and I had this happen a few years ago, a poor client she she put her son's name on the deed and um, essentially kind of bought the house with him, right? She did the down payment, but he's making the mortgage payments and is all going to be good to go. Well, after about a month or two living together, they found out that was impossible. And it got to the point where she was in the basement and they had the hole upstairs and they had locked her out from the rest of the house. So she couldn't access the laundry room anymore or any of that. And got to the point where they would, if, if the kids, the kids were out playing, if, if grandma came outside, they would make the kids come inside and they just treated her like garbage. Like she was a stranger. Yeah. This and, is what I don't get is how and, does this happen? And then they would like accuse her, like get mad at her if she smoked or did anything that they didn't want her to do in her own the, house, in her own house. And her, her piece of crap son could have never bought a home without her doing the down payment. Right. So he's just, and she has sold a home that was perfectly fine for her to do this for her son. 
and and it was just she was just miserable and sick and i mean could you imagine living in the same house with someone who doesn't want to see you talk to you and is and it's your family member and every day you have to be reminded of that yes because i can't imagine it but i've lived it through one of my own clients they they talked mom into selling her home in california it was in a nice 55 and older community. She loved it. She had a church that she went to that she loved. She was involved in the community. She had a great life. They somehow convinced her to sell that. He took the equity from her house, paid off his own house, moved her into his house here, you know, five states away, three states away, and basically isolated her in a home she couldn't drive the community she lived in she didn't need to drive to access all these great amenities it was perfect for her and then turns out his wife so so daughter-in-law hates her guts and that's part of what happened in this one it was the son's wife that really didn't like and so she treats my client like total garbage and every time I would see her, because I met with her multiple times, you could see her health declining precipitously. Just every time I'd from see her, stress. she looked worse. She had, she was diagnosed with an ulcer from living in those tense, toxic circumstances. Ultimately, she was able to negotiate a situation where she was able to, I don't know if she got all the equity out, but she was able to move back to California and it had a good ending, but. I mean, she was here for three years and it was three years of pure hell. And, and, you know, the client I just shared about because their name was still on the deed, we were, you know, we went to court and had to sue her son and, and we got a resolution or what? Yeah. We, we asked the court to force the sell of the house. Oh, okay. And the son obviously didn't want to sell the house because he could never buy another one because he doesn't have any money. So eventually they re they refinanced and paid my client out most of what she paid into it, but it was still, she, the, my client was never made whole because she sold this perfect house. The market moved so much. She couldn't, you know, this was in 2020 when things were starting to go really fast up. And so she, she was never able to like remedy her true damages caused yeah. by, which sucks. So so then we've talked about a scenario where the living conditions just were all un apart unbearable we've dealt with a scenario where the kid whose name's on the deed actually evicts parents we've got the scenario i just talked about with roger and janet roger's legal problems can negatively impact the home that dad needs to live in to live out the rest of his life. Let me give you a more normal one because lots of people do this and they think that there's no consequence. So they take a house that mom and dad bought in 1975 that they paid $30,000 for the house. And it's now worth a half a million dollars. And they add two, two siblings to that house and leave mom's dad has passed mom is still alive they leave her name on the deed and then they think they can just turn around and sell it and there's not going to be any tax consequences of that what are the tax consequences of that mike 
Well, depending on exactly how they did the deed and everything, usually it's it's very likely they ruin their step up in basis, or at least so, most of it, right? If or, if there's mm -hmm. two siblings added, they might get a, a step up in basis. So what I'm talking about is, if you buy a house in 1975, and it's your personal residence, and you turn around and sell it in 2022 for half a million dollars. Um, if you're both alive, you would actually get out of that situation under the way the law sits right now without paying any capital gains taxes because each spouse has a $250,000 exemption exclusion under section 121 of the IRS code that allows you to sell primary residence. But if it's not your primary residence and you have, you're selling a house that has appreciated 500,000 to, to 500 K, if you got the step up, to fair market value on mom's portion, there's still two thirds of the value of the house that is going to be taxed, whatever the appreciation value is from. Um, so let's say it was 20, it's a $30,000 home and $20,000 has now become 375,000. The difference between those is subject to long-term capital gains, which what are they? 20, 25% right now. Depending on the state that you're in and depending on your income, it's anywhere from 15 to 25%. Yeah. yeah. So they think, oh, there's not going to be any problems. And then they sell the house and they're doing their taxes and they realize, oh my gosh, we had a, th we realized $350,000 in gains when we sold that house. And there's no exclusion that lets us out of it. And they're paying, they're sending a check for a hundred grand to the IRS. Which really sucks. I get sick when I send a check for a few thousand to the IRS. Mm -hmm. I hear about some of these checks that get sent to the IRS because of estate taxes or capital gains taxes. And I just, I can feel my stomach turning. And, you know, and some kids will like not realize this till after they've done it. Well, right? that's what I'm saying. They or don't they, realize it. They usually find it out after mom and dad dies and they go to sell the property. And then well, like, or they find told. out after they've sold the property. And they're yeah. doing their taxes. Mm -hmm. Realtor doesn't care. Title doesn't care. So they sell the house and then they're sitting down with their tax guy seven months later, the following year in January. Okay. What went on? Well, we did this. We did this. We did this. And we sold mom's house. Wait, what? Yeah. We added our names to the deed and we sold mom's house. Okay. Well, how much was the sale for? Okay. 500. Okay. Well, what was, what did mom pay for the house 30, 40 years ago? Um, okay. Well, let me do, let me crunch the numbers and then they come back and go, we owe the, you guys together owe the IRS hundred K what? And they, I don't know. Uh, to me, that sounds like a reason not to do this. That's because a really good the, one. The simple solution here is have mom put it in a trust make the kids the beneficiaries avoid yeah. probate they get the step up in basis mm -hmm. they can either sell the house for fair market value on the day that mom died or on an alternative valuation date six months later and realize no gains no taxes so your first but in order to do that have you have to. to call somebody and say we need some help squaring away mom's affairs you have to reach out to a trusted advisor. You need to find mm -hmm. someone that yeah. can navigate that. So your first experience, your first story you shared, Nathan, did they ever explain why they wanted to do the sell? And 
put the kid's name on it? No, I think it was, it was mainly, so I think it was mainly because they planned to take, they wanted the house after he died anyway. And I just feel like, you know, I should, I should have asked what the reason was, but honestly, I was just so blown away with the story. They told me that I was kind of shell-shocked and believe it or not, I say, I think I've seen everything. And then somebody will walk in at the beginning of a new week and they'll tell me a story that again, just blows my mind. Well, and often, um, often a thing that I hear from people is, you know, well, you know, we wanted to, cause they've heard, right. They've, they've been online or they've heard from family or friends or seen it with other family members that the assets got eaten up in older age by medical expenses or yeah. fraud or abuse. Right. So, Hey, someone came in and took advantage of mom and dad and they lost assets. And so the kids think, well, if it's in my name, it's more protected than if it's in mom and dad's name, because nothing will happen to them. Apparently, I guess that's the rationale, right? Like they're safer than mom and dad. They don't ever, they don't consider, wait, when I do that, if I was an accident, would I have to report my ownership in her home as one of my assets to satisfy damages in an accident claim if it exceeded my insurance limits? The answer is yes, but people, you tell them that and they go, oh, really? Yeah, it's, your name's on the deed. It's But it was mom and, but it's my mom and dad's. No. You're not going to go after my mom and dad's house. Well, if your name's on the deed, yeah, they are because it's your house, partially yours. Mm -hmm. They don't care what the reasoning was behind it. Or if you got involved in a lawsuit with, let's say a business deal went bad and you got sued personally, you'd have to report that as an asset in that case. And that's why you really want a good advisor because, you know, if you're going in, if that's the big concern, like, Hey, I'm, I'm worried about protecting mom and dad's assets. And you go into the From attorney, long-term care and yeah, maybe it's long-term care. Maybe it's just Probate. fraud and abuse that you're worried yeah, that happened to your that. loved one. Cause that most of the, most of the scams and financial scams that go on or against our senior population. It's just the facts are huge that support that. So, so whatever the reason is, if someone's going in, they want to make sure mom and dad's assets are protected against whatever. Well, the, the typical like family trust doesn't protect against most of those situations. It's going to protect against probate. It's going to solve our tax problem that Nathan talked about. It's going to make sure assets go to the right family members but it's not going to solve those protection issues. So there's some really specific type of asset protection trusts. They're much more sophisticated planning vehicles, but the right advisor would be very comfortable with those and knows exactly how those work and can get the best of both worlds. They can set it up. So mom and dad are protected. The kids can still help protect mom and dad. But if we have a kid that goes rogue on us or something goes wrong in that kid's life, we're not just, well, we're protected. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the person, even if it's the person they named as the the trustee, yeah, we have a mechanism in that trust to be able to remove them and put somebody else that's more suitable in their place. Yeah, anytime something can happen where the person that we relied a hundred percent on is no longer reliable, and and the trust is amazing that way because it can it can put those safe, safety procedures in where you can even swap that person out. That, a person that you thought never in a hundred years would let you down, even if they let you down, you have a you have another option. So yeah. here's the sad thing is that if people do this planning at all, as opposed to engaging in these kind of shortcut mm-hmm. techniques that have all these, I think they're pretty severe problems. 
that we've talked about today. Um, instead, of, if they do it at all, there a lot of times people are like, well, I don't want to pay a lot of money to do this. So they might end up with, so they, they bottom, they shop for the bottom barrel price. They end up with a, essentially a trust mill firm that they're just kicking out templated documents. They're not having any kind of meaningful discussion about their circumstances and tailoring that plan to their specific needs. They're not involving extended family, if that's appropriate. They're not doing any of that. Um, so, so I guess what I'm saying is that the majority of planning attorneys out there are probably not going to create the type of plan that um, addresses all of the issues here that we've discussed. They're not acting as a trusted advisor. They are a glorified document salesman. They might even be an attorney that only does estate planning one day a week and they do DUIs and divorces all the other days of the week. And so I guess what I'm saying is that it really is about you get what you pay for and you need to do your due, due diligence. You need to find a firm that has awesome reviews that's been recommended to you by someone else that had a good experience. You need to vet that person and, and make sure that they understand what your needs are, or that they're asking you the right questions. I guess maybe a rule of thumb is if you go in and meet with a, an attorney to do your estate planning and they don't talk to you about, and all they talk to you about is probate, they don't talk to you about long-term care issues. And I'm not saying they're trying to sell you long-term care insurance. They ask you questions about, do you have a plan for long-term care? If they don't ask you about that, if they don't ask, uh, if they don't talk about other types awesome. of asset protection, if they don't talk about liability risk, then they are not, they're not the right person for you. Mm -mm. They're not the right, they're not going to be a trusted advisor. If they're not addressing those issues, it's probably because they don't understand them and they don't deal with them on a regular basis in their practice. And they probably don't focus their practice on the area that you need most at that moment. So it is, it is really important that you just find someone who can, who can do it all. You know, they, they understand all the planning issues. So not that can do all the law, not all the law. You don't want your generalist that does everything. No. You want somebody that can do it all in a planning perspective. So you exactly. want to find a firm that's dedicated to planning. That's all mm -hmm. they do. That's all they do. Because there's just too many areas of laws. There's too many complexities that it's pretty hard to be great at a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, so. probate's always been kind of a nightmare. Not always, but it has the potential to be. But I feel like in the last 15, 20, well, I've only been practicing 20, but I feel like in the past 10 to 15, the stakes have just been raised so much in terms of if your planning's not done right, what kinds of risks are you likely to encounter and, and what's the likelihood that it destroys you financially? It's huge. Mm -hmm. We're more long-term care costs, way more money than it ever used to. And it's only going to go up. People are more likely to sue for every little thing than they ever have been. There's all kinds of fraudsters out there that are looking to take advantage of elderly senior people. Um, there's all kinds of bad apple kids that, that could ruin a family's hard-earned nest egg, everything they have, get everything they have burnt. So 
I don't know. I kind of feel strongly about the topic. I don't know if that's coming <laughs> through or not, but I like it, Nathan. I like it. So <clears throat> be smart. Don't put anyone's name on your deed. Just come see a trusted advisor and do get your due right. diligence. Find a lawyer that you know they actually care and they know what they're doing. And they're they've been in they've they're established and when you talk to them that they have some plan for continuity moving forward, they're not just going to do your documents, disappear. shake your hand and disappear. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that covers it, Nathan. Uh, thanks for sharing that experience, those experiences. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's good to get them off my chest. Yeah. You feel it's better. Heavy. Yeah. It's heavy stuff. It's hard not to take that stuff home. Right. That's true. So. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. See you, everyone. You've been listening to Legacy Lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.